Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around him, and the impact he empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Well, again, good afternoon, uh, and as I said, we've got an awkward passage to talk about today, so at least that'll be exciting for you. I can, you can watch me squirm up here. Uh, but last week, we saw how Jesus uh, got in a huge confrontation with the religious leaders of the day, and as part of that, he gets right to the heart of a question that actually our world is asking and talking about a lot, and I think is a bit obsessed with, a question that touches each of us, actually, at some level, which is, how can I be clean? How can I be good or appear good? And Mark, as we saw last week, uh, points us towards the end of his gospel, the end of his story, points us to Jesus and his cross and how Jesus' goodness can be the basis for our goodness so that those who believe in him and submit to him and follow him might have our hearts and lives cleansed from the inside out. And if you missed it, you can catch up with it online. And today... Um, it's the frying pan into the fire a little bit, uh, and it's a, one of those passages that is a preacher who preaches regularly, you'd just like to skip, because it's hard, uh, and, and it's a little bit strange. It's really, uh, it's a lot shorter than last week's 23 different verses, uh, but to me, it's far more difficult. Uh, we're going to see Jesus in chapter 7 uh, begin to head outside of Jewish areas, uh, and then unexpectedly, he's going to turn up in a Gentile region or regions full of non-Jewish people, and then his actions and presence there are pointing towards something. It's going to be pointing towards salvation and the kingdom of God being spread, not just to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles as well. And you might, again, you might be thinking about why on earth should we care about this at all? It's Sunday afternoon, and um, you know maybe we're just a bit tired. It's that time of year. Clocks have changed. Dark darkness is kind of hanging over. Well, here's a couple of things to make you care about this afternoon. Uh, first, we're going to meet a woman in our passage who has to fight to get to Jesus. And she's going to push through some things. She's even going to push through a fence and some things that seem like an insult towards her from Jesus. And we've all had to wrestle or are wrestling with Jesus about difficult things in our lives, if we're honest. And we may have had to face this decision like she did. To, am I going to stay in tension and trust him even though it's really, really difficult? Or am I going to and, and keep going with this? Or am I going to get offended and leave? And I, like I said, many of us, maybe you're there right now. You're living right in that tension. Another thing that's interesting about this passage is one of Mark's themes for his gospel is discipleship. And what is Jesus looking for in his followers and his family? And the woman and her posture as a disciple is going to challenge us about our discipleship posture this afternoon. And then lastly, we're going to see that this woman is a desperate woman. She's a desperate woman, and she has no credentials to show her worthiness before Jesus, yet she goes before him in real humility. And many of us are in tough spots right now and are desperate. And maybe you're here today and that's you. 
and you never would have thought to try a life of following Jesus seriously. But what if that's the way to hope and peace and flourishing? Or maybe you are following Jesus, but it's like you've kind of become detached from that reality, and today is going to be a reminder that no, His way is the way to peace and flourishing and joy. And again, perhaps this afternoon, it's a day for your hunger and your desperation to lead you to Jesus, who can not just help you, but he can save you as well. So let's jump in, and uh, this must be the place. Uh, Many of our wonderful Mark preachers, haven't they done a great job so far, all of our wonderful team? You can applaud them. That's great. Yep. I'm going to try not to let the side down this afternoon. they have talked to us about different things we can do in reading the Bible to help us understand the Bible more and to enter in a little bit deeper. And one of the things we've talked about as a kind of a, a help is geography. Like, where is something taking place that often has huge significance and gives real clues to what the author is trying to say? And today is no different. So I'm going to see verse 24 uh, of chapter 7 flying up behind me here. And it tells us that uh, Jesus uh, has left the place and uh, that he had all this conflict with the, with the religious leaders and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. Uh, so he's in this place called Tyre, and he doesn't want to be discovered. What is the deal with Tyre? What, what's this about? Well, it is today you, could, you will find this place in modern Lebanon. Uh, it's outside of Israel today and then. Um, and it was a prosperous Mediterranean coastal city and region just north and west of Galilee. Uh, So Galilee was Jewish, and Tyre and Sidon was the other city. That whole region was just north of of that, so it was a Gentile or non-Jewish region. Uh, It was the home of the Phoenicians, who were wealthy traders and mariners and the constant antagonists of the children of Israel. They feature regularly in the Old Testament, and almost exclusively they're the enemies of Israel. One of the most famous examples is 1 Kings 16, when Ahab, one of the wicked kings of Israel, marries Jezebel, who's a Phoenician uh, from this region, and together they persecute the prophet Elijah, and Jezebel brings her worship of false gods and corrupts Israel, although Ahab needed no encouragement himself. He was one of the most wicked kings that Israel had. At one time, uh, for a long time, the city was built on an island off the coast, Uh, Fun fact, 332 B.C., Alexander the Great, maybe you've heard of him, shows up, and he demands that the city surrendered. He was on his journey of conquering. The city refuses to surrender. Uh, So what did he do? He had his army build a causeway out to the island city, and they took the city. And it's like that today. It's joined to the mainland by this causeway. You can still go there and and walk out to it. And uh, in the mind of... The Jews of Jesus' day, Tyre and its people were pagans who worshipped false gods. They'd bullied Galilee and fought with them over centuries. Josephus, who's a famous Jewish historian of antiquity, called them notoriously our bitterest enemies. And they would have been regarded as unclean by Jesus' disciples, who would have been like, what on earth are we doing here? Uh, And so they very much were kind of the unclean Gentile world. Uh, And and in the verses we looked at last week, 
You know, we saw Jesus arguing with the Jewish religious leaders about what practices or food makes a person clean or unclean. Now he is in an unclean land full of unclean people. And this would have been totally unexpected for a rabbi to go there, and it certainly was not what anyone was expecting from the Messiah, the anointed one of God who would deliver the nation of Israel. No one expected the Messiah to go to those people. And so why didn't Jesus want anyone to know where he was? Why, did, why was he hiding out? Well, we know that crowds were following him constantly. The religious leaders were hassling him like crazy, and he had conflict after conflict with them. So he went where they would never go. He went to get a break and to have a rest, and even Jesus had to rest. We should probably think about that. If even Jesus had to rest, then even we need to rest. And uh, particularly... Um, Jesus was resting from persecutions. Jesus was resting from persecutions. And I just thought, as I was preparing this, that there may be some of us here this afternoon who are actually experiencing something like that. You're experiencing opposition. You're experiencing persecution. And what the Lord is inviting you into is actually a period of rest and retreat. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's something in your extended family situation. You, you're being opposed or have been opposed, and you're dealing with really, really hard things. And for you, a rhythm of Sabbath weekly is important, and like specifically some retreat, and to step out and to withdraw for a while. Not so that you can retire and live heavily, happily ever after, but so you can return in strength to fulfill God's purposes for you in that situation. So not like a holiday to forget everything, but a prayerful reflection and physical rest period. I also had this picture of like, you might be sitting here like, I've got little kids and I'm married and uh, you know, like how on earth do we do that? Um, and I just had this picture of husbands and wives really serving each other and, say, and just helping each other get away, that kind of thing. Again, so you can be faithful to God's purposes for your life and to bring his life and health to your situation, not run from your situation. And if you want prayer for that at the end, we'll be doing some ministry and we would love to pray for you. Okay, so that's a little bit about Tyre. Sorry for the history geography lesson, but it's really important as we talk about this. Let's talk about the woman. The woman. Verses 25 and 26. Uh, Jesus is trying to have his retreat with the disciples um, who must have been going like, what on earth are we doing here? Uh, and a woman hears about his presence. She seeks him out. And why couldn't he keep his presence secret? Why couldn't he keep his presence secret? Well, who's going to know who he is there if he's in kind of behind enemy lines kind of thing? Well, we know from chapter 3, verse 8 uh, of Mark's gospel, we covered this before, uh, about crowds following Jesus, when they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. So people were crossing the border to hear Jesus, the miracle wonder worker, and things like that. And so he can't catch a break even there. So he's recognized. And this woman comes to him. She falls at his feet, begs him to heal her daughter, who's possessed with an evil spirit. But this wasn't just any woman. It says she was born in Syria and Phoenicia. In Jesus' day, there were two areas called Phoenicia. The one we're talking about is Syrian Phoenicia, and another Phoenicia was in North Africa. Uh, and she's called the Syrophoenician woman to clarify where she's from. 
But it also says she was Greek, which is a little bit interesting uh, and important for us. Because remember I said that Tyre was conquered by Alexander the Great and his Greek army. And Alexander, he didn't just conquer places. He brought Greek or Hellenistic culture with him and ideas, and they kind of took over. And what happened, which is always what happens when some, someone more powerful conquers someone weaker. They bring their traditions, their culture, and everything with them. And the Greek elite were put in positions of power over the new conquered areas, often exploiting them mercilessly. And this woman is a Greek. So a biblical scholar called Craig Keener uh, sums it up really, really helpfully. She not only lived among descendants of the ancient Phoenicians, but she also belonged to what had been the ruling citizen class since the time of Alexander the Great. She belonged to the class that maintained its wealth by exploiting the poor farmers in outlying areas, both Phoenician and Jewish. This woman belonged to a social class that had been consuming other people's bread, taking food from other children's mouths for a long time. So some of Jesus' words to her maybe are starting to make a little bit more sense. So she's amongst the elite who persecuted the locals and the Jews of Galilee. Anyway, she falls at his feet. She's desperate. She begs him to heal her daughter. The last person in the Gospel of Mark to fall at Jesus' feet and to beg him to heal is in chapter 5, and it's Jairus, who's the synagogue leader, whose daughter is dying. It's a huge contract that Mark actually wants us to see and take note of. Jairus was president of a synagogue. He's a Jewish religious leader, and he has impeccable credentials. And why wouldn't Jesus the Messiah help him? This woman has no credentials. She's the most disqualified person in Mark's gospel ever to approach him. She's unclean at every level. Firstly, she's a woman. And a woman just didn't, whether you were Jew or a Gentile, you just didn't approach a rabbi like that and barge your way into his presence. You just didn't do it in those days. And then she's a Gentile from pagan Syrophoenicia, the ancient enemy and the oppressor of Israel that worships false gods. And she's from the elite class who stayed in power by exploiting the poor, and her daughter has an unclean spirit. So that's a bad list. So what's going on here? Well, in the last episode, Jesus fought with the Pharisees over food. And we saw that it isn't food that makes you unclean, it's what's in your heart, and we need to come to Jesus. And the very next thing, we have Jesus in the unclean, pagan, false, God-worshipping, Gentile regions with this woman coming to him. And Mark is showing us that if food isn't unclean, then neither are people. And this woman is trying to get to Jesus. Jesus is foreshadowing God's salvation and glory going to the ends of the earth. Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God, is for everyone. Everyone who humbles themselves in faith gets Jesus. And his kingdom will reign forever and cover the entire heavens and the earth and is for every tribe, tongue, and nation. So we see in, in verses 25 and 26, just picture this scene. A desperate woman, a woman who is from the elite class, Wealthy, no doubt, but desperate enough to humble herself at his feet, begging him to heal her daughter. And the, if you get into the Greek, I won't bore you with the details, but the verb for beg in Greek is in the present tense, which means continuous action all the time, which means she kept 
on begging him and would not stop. She's crying out over and over and over for Jesus. And I would just say about that, don't get in the way of a desperate parent, especially a mother, fighting for her child. Okay, let's talk about an awkward response. If you're like me, what do you expect? I expect Jesus, you know, nice hippie Jesus, right? Uh, to be nice and do, the, do, do the, all the healing stuff and all's well. But that's not what he does. He utters one of the most confusing and offensive statements in the entire New Testament. Let's, let's check it out. He says to her, first, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What just happened there? Did he call her a dog? Did he call her daughter a dog? That's what it sounds like. Now, it would be bad today if you called someone a dog and you meant it. But in our culture, we have like a love for dogs that in the ancient world and certainly the Jewish world, they did not have. And you just need to think, not cuddly, you know, dog that you dress up in human clothes or something like that. Think wild, disease-ridden animals that would have eaten dead things, roamed in packs, and were a threat. Think that, okay? Uh, the Jews despised them as unclean. And so it was like a really bad insult. And so what on earth do we do with this? Jesus is insulting this woman or her daughter or both couple things to think about here before we get too uncomfortable. First, he doesn't directly call her or her daughter a dog. Like, he, he doesn't say, get out of here, you dirty dog, or you and your family are dirty dogs and not worth my time. That's not what he says, okay? So, that's a little bit better, but it doesn't, it's not good. It's not as bad as maybe we first think, but it's, it's really still, it's not good. But it does seem that what he's saying is he's like he's inviting her into something. He's like laying out something a little bit cryptic, but throwing some breadcrumbs out there for her to follow. He's inviting her into maybe like a dialogue, a conversation, or as some commentators would say, he's telling her a mini parable, or he's inviting her into a parable. In other words, he's trying to teach her something through figurative language or a story. And there's a couple of things that tell us that his words actually might have offered her some hope to hang in there, to stay with this, and to engage with Jesus, who may, have, may or may not have just insulted her. First, the word Jesus uses for dogs isn't the Greek word for like a stray or a street dog. Uh, the word he uses in the, is in the diminutive, so it's actually the word we would use, puppy, okay? Which does soften it a bit, okay? And Gentile children, now never Jews... But Gentile children uh, would have had puppies for pets. So he's speaking right into this woman's world. She would have had a context for children having puppies as pets. So it's like a parable from her world. Uh, and then Jesus uses the word first. So first let the children eat all they want. Okay? Uh, first the children eat. Then it, it kind of implies then the puppies can eat. Okay? That does suggest that at some point the puppies will get their portion too. And I think that would have given her some hope and a reason to hang in there. But what on earth is he actually getting at? Well, it's a bit of a play on words. See, devout Jews in Jesus' day, uh, 
as an insult, would have referred to the Gentiles as dogs. And there's plenty of, in the rabbinic tradition, you can look it up and read it, they call Gentiles unclean dogs. And so that would have been like a thing, all right? See, every society that's divided by hatred has words for the other side, right? Right? We wouldn't know anything about that here. And that, the word that the Jews had for Gentiles was dogs. The Jews of Jesus' day would have referred to themselves as the children of God or the children of Israel. You can see one of the many places is uh, Deuteronomy 14.1, you are the children of the Lord your God. Do not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead. And there's a lot of other things that we don't have time to talk about there. Uh, but you see, they call themselves the children, children of God. And so Jesus is using this like a parable or like a riddle. The children of God, or Israel, eats first from the bread of life, Jesus himself. And then the puppies, or everyone else, or the Gentile world, eats more. Are you beginning to see? I'm going to use a preacher's trick here and find a better preacher and have him rescue me. So let's talk about Tim Keller and what he says. Jesus concentrated on his ministry to Israel for lots of reasons. He was sent to show Israel that he was the fulfillment of all the scripture's promises, the fulfillment of all the prophets, priests, and kings, the fulfillment of the temple. But after he was resurrected, he immediately said to the disciples, go to all the nations, or go to the Gentiles. And Tim Keller's highlighting that Jesus first sent to the children of Israel and then as soon as resurrection happens, he sends his disciples, go to all the nations, go to the Gentile world. And so Jesus in verse 27 is not saying he can't do anything for her or is rejecting her. He's saying there's an order to God's plan. I've come to Israel first, then everybody else. The children eat first, the puppies are going to eat after that. But everybody's going to eat their fill. See, the prophetic vision of the Messiah was that both Jew and Gentile would be saved by him. Isaiah chapter 49, 6, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Jesus is going to Israel first with his kingdom announcement, an offer of life and salvation in and through him, but it's going to reach the ends of the earth. So again, it's not like it's an insult. It's he's talking to her in a parable form. But also there's a little bit of confrontation in there because as Craig Keener told us, her class took bread from the mouths of plenty of children. So he is poking at some things a little bit, like he always does with us. Uh, Jesus is looking for something with his response to her. And he's looking for the same thing among Israel as he is from the Gentiles. And this woman has it. And it's the posture of a disciple. And we're going to see it in her response. So, obstacles, offense, humility, faith, the gospel according to a Syrophoenician woman. That deserves a round of applause just in and of itself. All right. Verse 28. What then happens? Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So instead of running off an offense, the woman stays in it. She stays with Jesus and engages with him. And again, this is something we've got to wrestle with. Jesus regularly puts obstacles and tests out there to provoke faith. In Mark alone, there are so many people who have to push through an obstacle to get to Jesus. 
You have the men who had to, had to lower their friend through a roof. They had to rip open a roof and lower their friend in to meet with Jesus so he could get healed. They had to push through a physical obstacle. There was the woman with the issue of blood. Mark tells us she had to push through the crowds to grab onto the hem of Jesus' cloak. People have to push past the disciples who bizarrely are trying to keep people away from Jesus at times. Uh, Jairus had to suffer the delay when Jesus healed somebody else first while his daughter died. He had to push through with faith in Jesus, and then Jesus shows up to his place, and she's made well and brought back to life. And this is another place where somebody has to push through an obstacle that Jesus has actually put into place. That's uncomfortable. I don't know if I like that. But he says this riddle to the woman to provoke her faith and to lead her into an encounter with him. And she stays with it and she wrestles with him and she pushes through and she's going to receive her blessing. Some of us have not been able to get over the offense of Jesus. That he might test us. That he actually might have a different plan for our life than we think is fitting. That he might ask us to do hard things. That he might actually ask us to obey him. Our expectation might have been that he was here to help us have a great life, not to surrender our life to him. And when life happens or we're confronted by something that feels like an obstacle or doesn't go our way, we get offended. I know I do. Maybe it's just, you know, part of my journey is, you know, you expect a Sunday school version of life. And we end up encountering real life and the effects of sin in the world and our own sin and the sin done against us and all the brokenness. It gets hard and we get offended or we don't like Jesus' teaching. We just don't like what he says about life and the world we live in and what the good life is according to him and what flourishing is according to him. We don't like where it looks like he's leading us and what it means for our lives, and they're like, look, I'm out, I'm offended. But what if these moments are meant for faith and not offense? What if they're invitations to wrestle with God and receive a blessing? What if instead of leaving an offense, disciples wrestle and journey with Jesus towards flourishing and wholeness and hope? What if his teaching and the things he asks of us and the obstacles that are there, what if they're meant to draw you towards him and change you forever from the inside out. What are you wrestling with right now? Is it work? Is it your health? Is it promises deferred? Is it grief? Are you at a crossroads? Is it your way or the way of Jesus? Is the way of Jesus clashing with the prevailing culture all around us and that's very difficult? Is it something in your marriage? Is it something in a relationship or a friendship? What if Jesus isn't trying to offend you, but what if he's trying to provoke faith and to build something in you? And what if as you wrestle and contend with the Holy One of God, you'll receive your blessing along with many others added unto you? And the woman shows us the way to do that. Resilience, humility, and faith in Jesus' goodness. She accepts what Jesus is saying. Israel first. She accepts it. She's not an Israelite. She has no place at the table yet. But she doesn't fight for her rights or for her place at the table. She humbles herself and essentially says, I don't need a place at the table yet. I just need a crumb from the table. 
There's so much abundance in Jesus the Messiah that there will be enough for everyone. And instead of taking offense, she hears an invitation to go further into his words, and then she pushes it, and she says, okay, if your promises are coming, even to someone like me, one of the puppies, then I'm making my claim. I just need a small portion. Let the children of Israel eat their fill, but let something fall to me. Again, Brother Tim, she's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She's saying, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness, and I need it now. Martin Luther, the great and complicated, very complicated reformer, was deeply moved by this passage, and he wrote about it because he saw the gospel in it. See, the woman comes with no credentials, nothing to commend her to Jesus, and in fact, a long list of things that worked against her. Like everything was wrong. Instead of justifying herself or trying to and to talk Jesus into why he should help her or save her, she comes with no defense in total humility and faith, yet asks for her portion from the table. And she gets mercy. And we too come with nothing before Jesus. Despite our efforts to clean ourselves up, we know that we have done the list that Jesus gave us in verses 21 to 23 in the previous section. We know we've done those things and more. And we need, to make him, we need him to make us clean. And when we come in humility, dropping our reliance on things that we look to to save us or make us acceptable, or, and we humbly stand in faith that his death for us and his resurrection and life with us now are more than enough for what we need, we are made clean and whole by his grace. We receive our portion and more from the abundance of his table. And we're free to follow him and remain in him and to love and serve him with under our true identity as his brothers and sisters who are, because of him, adopted as children of God, our Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus looks at her persistence and her humility, and he counts it as faith. Verses 29 to 30, then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Uh, literally, you could translate, for such a reply as, what an amazing reply. An amazing answer is what he says to her, and her daughter's healed. What is Jesus looking for throughout Mark's gospel? He's looking for faith, humility, for people to come to him and follow him in his kingdom agenda and not try and fit them into their agenda. He's looking for persistence, those who will push through obstacles to get to him and not just come when it's convenient to them. What is our posture as disciples of Jesus? Are we willing to wrestle with him and to push through things? Are we willing to show some confidence as we come to Jesus and cry out for him to what we need, trusting in his future goodness to us that there will be more than enough falling from his table for even us? Will we have this confidence that she displayed? You know, when we have the attitude of, Gee, oh, I'm just not sure how God could love me and receive me or want me or do anything for me, that's not cute. And it's not polite and like a secret backdoor passive-aggressive way in. 
It's a rejection of his goodness. It's like a false humility. And so just what if the gospel's true? That we're received because of his goodness and we're made clean by him, not by anything we do or can do or can't do. Would you let that this afternoon like provoke a confidence in you that your sins are forgiven, that your hope can be in him, and he has and is and will save you fully, that his mercies and joys are new every morning. There is an abundance at his table for you, and you can face the world confident in his grace for us and his abundance to you and in his gospel. And if you're just still struggling with Jesus and the fact that he asks us to submit and obey and to build our lives on his kingdom and to follow his way, and how can that be fair? Would you, would you just think about this for a moment? And again, uh, Brother Tim helps us see this. Very soon, Mark will show us Jesus in Jerusalem, rejected by the religious leaders, arrested, put on trial, sentenced to death by crucifixion, and he will be beaten, and he'll be spat on, and he'll be cursed, and he'll be stripped naked. He'll, he'll be uh, crucified on the hill that was next to the garbage dump where they burnt unclean things. And he's treated as completely unclean. He's treated like a dog. The Son of God, the child of God, will be treated like an unclean animal so that we might have a seat at God's table and be God's children. Our sin and brokenness made clean, our lives made whole. He wasn't playing games with the Syrophoenician woman and he's not playing games with you. He suffered as we suffer and he is now loving us beyond measure, leading us towards holiness and wholeness and the good life as he defines it. He's leading us towards his eternal glorious kingdom even if for now there are trials and suffering and many griefs. He is with you and he's with me. He's worthy of our worship and of our faith. It would be a great day to give your life to Jesus for the first time if you want to begin being his follower, it would be a great day to give your life to Jesus again if you've somehow been away or stepped away from that reality. We want to pray for that. We want to pray for a number of other things. But first, I want to ask Harmony to come. Just a few things that she felt like um, were for us uh, this afternoon that we could be prayed for about. I think we should stand and let's let's just invite the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Jesus, we worship you and we honor you. We don't always understand or like <laughs> what we see happening around us, but we worship you and we honor you anyway. Just choose to worship you as king, 
as Lord right now. We give you our full attention. Jesus, we invite you to come and heal us. Thank you for the healing that you've already been working out in us over the previous weeks. Just pray, would you increase that in Jesus' name? We thank you for the healing and the deliverance that we saw in this passage and that we've seen throughout our journey through Mark and for what we're going to see even next week where Jesus heals again and again and again. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit. And one of, the, one of the impressions as I had, I was quite moved by this passage. Some of you know I've been battling my own illness in recent months, but I was quite moved by this passage because this woman, she didn't bring her daughter, she stood on behalf of her daughter. And we'll see next week again, people standing on behalf in proxy of someone else. And so one of the senses that I had is you might be caring for someone who's unwell, you might have a family member, a friend, someone who's not following Jesus, and if you would come up for prayer on their behalf today, I feel like it could be the beginning of something uh, awakening in you, maybe encouraging you, but also healing actually for them or deliverance for them where they're at right now. And it's a challenge to our faith because we don't really understand how this works, when we need to lay hands on someone and when we can just pray, you know, by proxy or in an intercessory way. But if you have someone in your life, a, a family member, a child, a parent who's really unwell, but they're not able to be here today, we would love to pray about that as well. And we would love to pray for any illness. The sense that I had was this woman fell outside of the system, the Jewish system. If you have an illness that sort of falls outside of the system, that doesn't have a cure, that doesn't have a name, that maybe you don't have treatment for, we would love to pray for you as well. And we've seen some breakthrough. And I've seen some myself in my own journey. So just would love to pray if there is an illness that you have a chronic condition, maybe a pain condition that you actually don't even know what it's called or someone has given it a label and you don't like it. We would love to pray for that. And then, you know, just if you have someone in your life that you are caring for in some way, just would love to pray for that as well. So if, if what Harmony shared resonates with you, there'll be a prayer ministry team up here. We'd love to pray for you. If um, the thing that I shared about you being opposed and the rest thing, you want prayer for that, we'd love to pray for you. If you've uh, taken a look at the Syrophoenician woman and you're like, I need to push through some things and drop some offense, we want to pray for you. Um, and if you want to come and meet Jesus and receive what he is offering you, the abundance from his table, uh, we want to pray for you. And as Harmony said, anything else. Uh, we're a little bit over time, so if you have children in the children's ministries, if you collect them first before getting prayer, uh, and if the prayer ministry team wants to come now, I'll close with some prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness and your word to us. We ask that you would really minister to your people now, and you would send us out here with blessing and great joy. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.